Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. Do you guys see it? The light at the end of the tunnel? Do you guys see it? Okay, so I was read- I'll, I'll explain. I was reading an article the other day, and this article, the, the title was, Governor of California wants California to be open by June 15th. Do you guys see the light at the end of the tunnel now, right? Like if California's opening up, like this thing is almost over. Can I get an amen? Yeah, all right. So we're getting to the end of this thing. I know we still have some work left to do, but we're almost there. And I just have to know. I have to celebrate with you guys. What are some things that you're looking forward to getting back to normal? Shout them out. Concerts. That's been the first one at like every meeting. That's, that's amazing. I agree. Seeing people's face. You know how hard it is to talk to people when you can't like see how they feel about you? It's, it's horrible. Yeah. What else? Anyone over hand sanitizer? Am I the only one? Yeah, right. Some of you guys are like, this is a dream come true. Like finally everyone is clean, right? Some of you guys are like, anything else? Well, what else are you guys looking forward to, to getting back to normal? Doing what? Breathing at work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Masks, right? Yeah, we're, we're over masks. We're over Zoom, like we are all over Zoom, amen, right? Yeah, okay, so there are all these things that we are ready to get back to normal, and I am right there with you. I am right there with you. However, I think we'd be missing a really good opportunity if we didn't stop and ask God, God, what are some things in my life that you don't want to go back to normal? And maybe it's a sin or a habit that you picked up during quarantine, or maybe that you've been struggling with for a long time that you know that God just doesn't want you to go back to. Or maybe it's your purpose in life. Maybe you've known your whole life what school you wanted to go to, what degree you wanted to get, what job you wanted, but you never stopped to ask God, God, what is your purpose for my life? Or maybe the opposite's true. Maybe you have no idea what you're doing. You, you like chose a school on a whim. Uh, it was your last choice. Uh, maybe you were like looking at the list of degrees and you just like closed your eyes and pointed at one. And you just have no idea what God's purpose or plan is for your life. And you haven't stopped to, to look at scripture and ask God, God, what is your purpose for me? This idea of purpose is something that I've been struggling with my whole life. When I was a junior higher, I thought my purpose was to be popular. So I did what every junior higher did in the 2000s to be popular I bleached the tips of my hair blonde. Yeah, all right. So there was a worldwide phenomenon known as NSYNC at the time. The lead singer of NSYNC was this guy named Justin Timberlake. You may have heard of him. And Justin Timberlake had bleached tips. So I thought if if I bleached the tips of my hair, I'd show up at school the next day and I'd be the most popular kid in school. So I did it. I bleached the tips of my hair. I showed up at school the next day. And my crush, Brittany Kiefer, she walks up to me. She says, Seth, what did you do to your hair? And in that moment, I realized, like, JT's got a lot more going for him, right? Like, he's an incredible dancer. He's an amazing singer. He's the lead singer of the most popular boy band in the world. I made a mistake. I made a huge mistake. So I put that purpose aside. I decided, man, maybe my purpose isn't to be popular. And I got to high school, and I discovered a new purpose. And that new purpose was to be the star athlete. And I dreamed my whole life of making a game-winning shot. I remember watching Michael Jordan make the game-winning shot in the 1998 NBA Finals, and I thought that was going to be me. So every day after school, I would practice. As I made a hot pocket in the microwave, the clock would tick down from 10 seconds, and when it hit one, I would sink the trash into the trash can. Some of you guys have done that, right? And I thought that was going to be me because every time I'd make it. So I thought I was going to be the next Michael Jordan. 
And so finally, in high school, I had the opportunity to make a game-winning shot. We're down by two with three seconds left, and I am, like, wide open. Like, there is, I cannot emphasize enough how wide open I am on this play. Like, no one's even close to me. And my friend, my best friend, Jordan, he had the ball, and, and two people were guarding him, so he had no choice but to pass me the ball. He passes me the ball, and the ball goes through my hands and out of bounds. The only opportunity I've ever had in my life to make a game-winning shot in a basketball game and the ball goes through my hands. Guys, I, 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 will never, I will never live that down. Like my brother still makes fun of me because I dropped to my knees and I screamed, no! And so, the, man, that, I decided in that moment that that was not my purpose. That my purpose was not to be the star athlete. Believe it or not, I'm not gonna be the next Michael Jordan. So I got to college and finally I figured it out. I figured it out. My purpose was the American dream. I knew what degree I wanted to get. I was going to find an amazing job. I was going to be a millionaire. I was going to find a wife. I was going to have two and a half kids, white picket fence, the whole deal. Until someone sat down with me, and they showed me God's purpose for my life. They walked me from Genesis to Revelation, and they showed me that he had a purpose and a plan. And what I realized in that moment was all of those other purposes and plans that I came up with for my life, those were going to fail. But God's purpose and his plan was guaranteed not to fail. And so that's what I want to be for you tonight. I want to be that person that just walks you from Genesis to Revelation and shows you over and over and over again how obvious he makes it what our purpose is. So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dive in, and we are going from Genesis to Revelation in like 30 minutes. Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for uh, the table. God, I just thank you for what you're doing through this ministry. Lord, I pray that at the end of tonight, every single person in this room who is following you will, will be able to pray, Lord, I am willing to go anywhere at any time to do anything you are calling me to do. God, we just pray for, for open hands, for open ears, and open hearts. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to start in the beginning. In the beginning, God creates humanity. He creates Adam and Eve. And in verse 28 of chapter 1 in Genesis God gives Adam and Eve the very first command that he'd ever given. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Two chapters later, Adam and Eve sin. Sin and death enter the world, separating humanity from God. And just a few chapters after this, sin got so out of hand that God floods the earth and starts over with a man named Noah. And as Noah is leaving the ark, God gives him the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And just a few chapters later, in Genesis 11, we have the opportunity of zooming in on humanity to see how they've done. We get to see, have they been fruitful and multiplied? Have they filled the earth? And in fact, they've done one of those things really well. They'd been fruitful and they'd multiplied. They'd done the easy part, but they had not filled the earth. And they had gathered together. They gathered together for a specific purpose. They wanted to build a tower. They wanted this tower to stretch all the way to heaven. And the reason they wanted to build this tower they said in their own words, was to bring glory to their own names. But that's not what God's about. God is about bringing glory to his name. So he goes down, he scatters humanity throughout the planet, he confuses their language, and as Genesis 11 ends, we have a huge, huge problem. Because we have a world full of sinful people not worshiping God. But God desires a world of worshipers. So we do not have to wait long to see the beginning of his plan to fix this problem. We literally flip the page from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, we meet Abraham. And guys, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is the most foundational passage in all of Scripture. 
So if you've ever struggled to understand the Old Testament, that's probably most of us in here, right, including myself. If you ever struggled to understand the Old Testament or the whole Bible, for that matter, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, could unlock everything for you. So let's look at it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we meet this man named Abraham, who at this time is known as Abram, and God says, go from your country and your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So God tells Abraham, obey what, what I'm asking you to do. Leave your country. Leave your family. Go to the land that I will show you, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. But he, doesn't, he doesn't just stop there because he wants Abraham to know why he wants to bless him. And he goes on to say, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So I underline the last line of this passage because that's God's purpose. That's his plan, to use his followers, to use Abraham and his offspring to make his name known among all nations, to bless all the nations on earth through Abraham and his descendants. And so th this is his purpose. This is his plan. So from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus to the early church and then finally to me, and to you, this is his purpose, to use us, to use his followers, to make his name known among all nations. And so the rest of the Old Testament, we get to watch him. We get to watch God use these, this people, use the Israelites, use Abraham's offspring to make his name known among the nations. But first, God repeats this promise to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis 26. He says, Isaac, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then to Isaac's son Jacob, he says, Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God tells Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your offspring will be so great in number that they will be like the stars of the heavens. They will be like the dust on the earth. And this passage goes on to say, they'll, go, they'll spread out towards the north, the south, the east, and the west. And through them, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So then we get to watch this unfold. We get to follow this family through the book of Genesis. And as Genesis ends and Exodus begins, we find this family enslaved in Egypt. And in Egypt, they're enslaved under this man named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. But God knows that. And God says this to Pharaoh in Exodus 9. He says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. See, God knew Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. He knew it because he raised him up. God, God made Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world. So God says, Pharaoh, God says to Pharaoh, I raised you up and I'm gonna tear you down. I'm gonna bring the 10 plagues. I'm gonna part the Red Sea. I'm gonna lead my chosen people out of slavery. I'm gonna defeat you. And no one's gonna be talking about Pharaoh anymore. My name will be proclaimed in all the earth. And then he does it, right? He brings the 10 plagues. He parts the Red Sea. He leads his chosen people, Abraham's offspring, out of slavery. He defeats Pharaoh. And then God uses this story to make his name known. And we, we can watch it happen in the Old Testament. We watch this family, we, we watch the Israelites come into contact with people like Rahab. And Rahab says, I've actually heard of your God. Didn't he bring the 10 plagues and part the Red Sea? and lead you guys out of slavery? 
and defeat Pharaoh, man, the God of Israel is awesome. So God is using this miracle to make his name known among the nations. And then we get to continue to follow this family, and we eventually find them at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines, they have the biggest and baddest dude on the planet at this time, this guy named Goliath. He's like nine foot tall. He's undefeated. No one can defeat Goliath. And I, I, I'm guessing most of you have heard of the story of David and Goliath. And I grew up hearing the story. I grew up in the church. And I grew up hearing the story as, Seth, you're David. And with God on your side, you can do anything. You can overcome any obstacle that you come across. Any giant that stands in your way, you can defeat. Because you have God on your side. And that's true, Right? With God on our side, we can overcome any obstacle. We can defeat any giant. But that's not the point of the story. And David tells us what the point of this story is in 1 Samuel. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you, Goliath, into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. See, David was a prepubescent teenager. Goliath was an undefeated warrior. Like he had, David had no business going up against Goliath. He knew that in order for him to defeat Goliath, God would have to perform a miracle. He trusted that he would, and he knew that when God did perform this miracle, that God was to get the glory, not David. That David was just being obedient, that God was using David to defeat Goliath. And then God uses this story to make his name known. He uses this story to, to make the nations know that he is the, the God of the universe, that he is the God of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and I know that because we're talking about it over 2,000 years later. We continue to talk about this story. We continue to make sports movies about the story of David and Goliath, right? Every sports movie that you have ever seen is about the little guy going up against the big guy, and God continues to get the glory from this story. We continue to talk about David and Goliath because God performed a miracle. And so we continue through the Old Testament. We eventually get to the Psalms, and we get to this Psalm that David actually wrote. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. We love this verse, right? Like we, we put it all over our churches. We buy journals with it on the front. Do I have any be still tattoos out here? Any be still tattoos? You know someone with a be still tattoo? No? All right. Well, uh, we love this verse, right? Like some of our friends get it tattooed on their bodies. Like we love this verse because it makes us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside. And it should. We should be able to be still and know that God has everything under control. But have any of you ever noticed the A in the reference? You guys ever noticed that? So I'm a pretty smart guy. The first time I saw that A, I was like, all right, there's an A. That means there's a part B. And so when I realized there's a part B, I thought, man, this, this verse must be pretty horrible, right? Like how bad does this have to be? It's either terrible or boring because I have never seen it before. Every time I've seen this verse, it's just be still or be still and know or be still and know that I am God. But Psalm 46.10, in its entirety, says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And this verse should make us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside because it tells us that our God is sovereign, that he will be exalted among every tribe, tongue, and nation, that he will be exalted in all the earth. And my prayer for tonight is that you will never unsee this. That every time you see, be still, or be still and know that I am God, you'll remember part B. You'll remember I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. When I was seven years old, I visited the most magical place on earth. 
Disney World in Orlando, Florida. It was incredible. I flew through outer space on a rocket. I rode down a waterfall in a log, and I met my hero, Buzz Lightyear. And to cap off the night, I saw the most incredible fireworks display that I had ever seen. It was so magical that 15 years later, I applied for an internship at Disney. And I got the internship, and as part of the internship, you go on a tour of the Magic Kingdom. And some of you guys probably know this, but underneath the Magic Kingdom, there's an entire world of tunnels. And these tunnels, they control all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I'm down there. I'm seeing the behind-the-scenes at Disney World, so I'm, like, super cool, right? And so I'm walking around, and then it happens. I come across the character break room. And I walk in, and I see my hero, Buzz Lightyear, smoking a cigarette. And then I look to my right, and I see Pluto making out with Cinderella, and my world is shattered. I will never unsee that. I will never unsee Buzz Lightyear smoking a cigarette. Every time I watch Toy Story, which is way too often for an adult man, I see Buzz Lightyear smoking that cigarette. Guys, my prayer is that you will never unsee Part B. That you will never unsee I'll be exalted among the nations. That as you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over again God using the Israelites to make his name known among the nations. And you'll see over 1,500 times where the Bible mentions this word, nations. And then you'll get to the prophets, and you'll see it everywhere in the prophets. You'll see it in Isaiah 49. So this is a few hundred years before Jesus steps foot on earth, and God says this about his coming Messiah. He says, It is too light a thing that I should use you to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. So so what God is saying is that I am too big. I am too good just to save the Jewish people. I thought that's what the whole Old Testament was about. No, he's saying that, that's too small for me. He goes on to say, my Messiah will be a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Guys, Jesus was not plan B. God's plan all along was to use Abraham and his descendants to make his name known, to, take, to bring salvation to earth through a descendant of Abraham, who Jesus is, and then that message will now go to the ends of the earth through us. But first, I'll explain that a little bit more in a a little bit. But first, I want to look at some more of the prophets. Because like I said, it's everywhere. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know if you've seen the sea recently, but when you look at the sea, it's all water, right? In the same way that the sea is covered in water, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It is going to happen. And then Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. So as the Old Testament ends, this is what it's screaming. It is screaming for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. It is screaming for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And it is screaming that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And then as we move into the New Testament, that salvation that's going to go to the ends of the earth, it becomes a lot more clear when we meet Jesus. So let's look at the most famous passage in all of Scripture. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For so long, I read this verse, and I would take that word world out of the verse, and I'd just plug my own name in there. Or I'd share, or I'd share the gospel with a friend, and I'd say, For God so loved Mason or Lauren or Emily. And that's true, right? Jesus wants to have a relationship with each and every one of you guys, with each and every one of us. That that sin and death that entered the world in Genesis 3, separating humanity from God, 
God solves that problem by coming to earth in the form of a man, living the perfect life that, that you cannot live, that I cannot live, dying on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and for my sins, and then raising from the dead, conquering sin and death. And if, if you are not currently following Jesus, that's what I want you to hear tonight. I want you to hear that Jesus came and he died for you. And that if you repent, you turn from your sins and you follow him, you're given eternal life. You are given eternal life. You are saved from your sins. But for those of you that are currently following Jesus, I want you to take your name back out of this verse. And I want you to plug world back in there. Because it's so much bigger than each and every one of us individually. It is so much bigger because for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And when we choose to follow him, when we repent, we turn from our sins, not only are we given eternal life, we're actually adopted into this family that we've been talking about through the whole Old Testament. So Abraham and his descendants, that's us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a descendant of Abraham. You're adopted into this family. Paul is really good at explaining this in Galatians 3. When he says, understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by their faith. So I want to stop there for a second because a Gentile is any non-Jewish person. So that's probably most of us in this room, maybe not everybody, but probably most of us in this room fall under that category. So we're, we're seeing God would justify the Gentiles by their faith. They would be adopted into this family and that all nations would be blessed through you, through your offspring. So we are adopted into this family. We become an offspring of Abraham. And as a member of this family, there is a very, very high calling on our lives. And Jesus gives us that high calling uh, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28. So Jesus has just spent, uh, he just died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He spent the last 40 days with his followers. He's about to ascend into heaven. And this is what he leaves his followers with. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, all of the authority in the universe has been given to me. I am king what I'm about to say is very, very important. And what he follows that up with is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary to China and he said the Great Commission is not something for Christians to consider. It is a command to be obeyed. And maybe you're sitting there and you are, you're all in, right? You're like, let's go. Let's make disciples. But maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, Seth, this is just one verse. Like, if you could give me four more verses, then maybe I'll be on board. So I'm going to give you four more verses. We have Matthew 28, 19, like we just talked about. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then finally, Acts 1, 8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I just want to point out that these verses, they don't say, you'll be my witnesses once COVID's over. Or you'll be my witnesses if your parents are cool with it, if your boyfriend or girlfriend are on board. Or if you don't get, the, if, if you don't get that amazing job, then you can be my witnesses. Now, this verse is saying, you are my witnesses. My followers are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But when the church looks past these commands, when they miss him as they're going through Scripture, the world ends up looking something like this. 
This box is known as the 1040 window. It reaches from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, from West Africa all the way out to East Asia. In this area of the world lives 5 billion people. 5 billion people. Of those 5 billion, 3 billion are considered unreached. But when I say unreached, I don't just mean unsaved, because there are tons of unsaved people all over Louisiana, all over the United States. There are unsaved people. The difference is those unsaved people, they know you. They know me. They have access to the gospel because they have a church on every corner. They have the Bible in their language. But for three billion people who live in that box, they might not have a church on every corner. They might not have the Bible in their language, and they definitely don't know a Christian. So to put that into perspective, if every single Christian in the world shared the gospel with every single person they had ever met, there would still be three billion people in that box that didn't even hear They didn't even have a chance to respond to the greatest news that any of us have ever heard, that Jesus came and died for their sins. If they repented and they turned from those sins and followed him, that they could be with him forever. No opportunity to hear that message. That's 97% of the world's unreached. 97% of the world's unreached live in that box. And I have a friend, his name is Brooks. Brooks spent 11 years translating the Bible and planting a church among the Yembe Yembe people in Papua New Guinea. And while he was there, he started to receive letters from another tribe. And this other tribe were writing letters to Brooks because they wanted a missionary. They had seen how this message that these missionaries brought had transformed these other tribes, and they wanted a piece of it. So they started to write these letters to Brooks, and soon he received so many letters that he couldn't ignore them anymore. And he decides to go on a vision trip to visit this other tribe. And so he takes a believer along with him, a believer from the Yembe Yembe people, And when they get close to this other tribe that's a few hundred miles away, they hear this party going on. They hear these drums beating. And the believer from the Yembe Yembe, he turns to Brooks and he says, Brooks, they think we're their missionaries. That's why they're partying right now. And they get there and they explain how much work they had left to do in Bible translation and in church planting among the Yembe Yembe people. They were just there to do a vision trip to see if maybe there was some way that they could get a missionary to them in the future. And so the chief, he understands this, and he, inv- he invites them into his hut, and he sits them down next to two of his wives with no teeth and white hair, and he says, I understand. I understand that you're not our missionaries, but how long? How long is it going to be before the Goat Mambu people get their missionary? I-, I have to know. I have to know. How long is it going to be before we get this message? And this question, it goes through four translators, and it gets to Brooks, and Brooks, knowing that there is no one planning on going to them. There's just currently no one willing to change their address to move to the Goat Mambu people. He just says, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a long time. And his answer, it goes back through the translators, and it gets to the chief, and the chief looks visibly upset, and he says, Brooks, I don't think you understand. I have to know. I have to know exactly how long it's going to be before we get our missionary." Brooks, how many moons? Tell me how many moons until the Gotmambu people get their missionary. This question, it goes to the four translators again, and it gets to Brooks, and knowing that his answer is the same, that there's still, there's still no one willing to go to them, he just says, so many moons. It's going to be a lot of moons. And his answer, it goes back through the translators, and 
It obviously didn't please the chief because still looking visibly upset, he stands up and he points to the door. And he says, Brooks, when we're done talking, I'm going to have to leave this hut. I'm going to have to talk to my tribe, and they're going to want to know how long it's going to be before we get our missionary. Brooks, you have to tell me, how many moons? How many moons before the Kote Mambu people get this message? Because we've seen how it has transformed these other tribes, and we need it. Brooks, how many moons before the Goat Mambu people get their missionary? This question, it goes back to the translators, but this time it stops with a believer from the Yembe Yembe people. And understanding the culture a little bit more, understanding what the chief is looking for, he stands up and he says, Brooks, I'll handle this. He says this to the chief. He says, when every single person in this hut with white hair dies, then you'll get your missionary. Because there's just no one willing to move here in order to learn your language, in order to translate the Bible, in order to plant a church among the Yembe Yembe people. There's, there's just no one willing right now. And right now, that's true for three billion people in that box. That unless a Christian changes their address and goes to them, they will never hear the truth about Jesus. And I know that that is, that is so heavy, Right? thinking about people never even hearing this message. Like, we've heard it thousands of times in our lives. How are these people never going to hear? Well, I do have some good news. I I know that's heavy, but I have some good news. Paul gives us a blueprint for how we can go about reaching these people. In Romans 10, Paul says this. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So what Paul is saying is you can't believe if you don't hear. You can't hear unless someone preaches. and Someone can't preach unless they are sent. So I think there's a takeaway for every single one of us in this verse. I think that we are all called to be a part of this. About t- we are all called to be taking the gospel to the unreached in one way or another. And I think we can be involved in two ways. And those two ways are going and sending. I think we can go in two ways. We can go here and we can go there. Going here, how does that make any sense at all? I'm already here, I can't go here. Well, there are over one million international students in America right now. Most of them are from the 1040 window. They're gonna study here for the next four to seven years. They're gonna move back home and they're gonna be the future businessmen, the future businesswomen, the future politicians of their countries. But right now, they're studying here at ULM. They're in your classrooms in a place where you can freely share the gospel with them. Guys, take advantage of that. Welcome international students. Welcome refugees to our country and share the greatest news that you have ever heard. Don't don't make them a project. Genuinely be their friend. Can you imagine moving to another country and not knowing another person? You would just want friends, right? Like, get lunch with them. Play sports with them. Just do what you love to do and invite them along. Be their friend and share the greatest news that they will ever hear. Imagine if your friend from Saudi Arabia who's in your class, he, he hears the gospel. Maybe he accepts it right then. Maybe it takes him five, 10, or 20 years. But you shared the gospel with him, and he accepted Christ. And then he went home, and he took that message to his family, to his unreached tribe. And that, that would be incredible. And all we have to do is share the gospel where we're at. So we can go here. And then we can go there. And going there is as easy as getting on a plane and going to the 1040 window and taking the gospel to people who have never heard the truth 
I have a friend, his name is Lincoln. Lincoln's from the east coast of China, and I met Lincoln when I was living in China. The first time we hung out, we talk about Jesus, and he's like, yeah, Jesus is cool, but he's just a good teacher. I, I'm Buddhist, my family's Buddhist, I'm gonna be Buddhist, you do your Christian thing. We're like, all right, well, if you think Jesus is cool, take this literature. It was the Bible. We'd take this literature, come back next week, we'll talk some more. So, so he left, he came back the next week, he had read the Bible study, which is crazy. We share the gospel with him, and, and he's like, okay, yeah, I actually think this could be true. Like, can I do this, like, Jesus and Buddha thing? And we were like, no, but come back again next week, and we'll talk again. So we came back the next week. We share the gospel with him again. And this time, Lincoln, he looks at us, and he says, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God, and I know, I know that Buddha is not. And the overwhelming response of people like Lincoln when they hear the gospel in China is, why have I never heard? Why has no one ever told me the truth about Jesus? Why have I only heard that he was a good teacher? Why does my government not want me to know this? You can be that person that takes the gospel to people like Lincoln who have never heard the truth about Jesus. So we can go here, we can go there, and then we can send. And I just want to point out, sending is not less spiritual than going. But in the same way that it is not less spiritual, it should be no less sacrificial. Every single one of us as Christians, that's just part of being a Christian, is living a sacrificial lifestyle. So whether that means giving up everything and moving to the 1040 window, or if that means just cutting back in some area of our lives, sacrificing in order to send our friends overseas, in order to send missionaries from our churches to the 1040 window. And I know what you're thinking, like, I'm a poor college student, I'm a poor postgrad, like, I don't have any money. In fact, I have negative money, right? There's a lot of negative money out here. I can just feel it. You have that energy. We have negative money. Well, guys, there are still areas in all of our lives where we can cut back. Cut back from lattes to drip coffee. Don't get guacamole on your next burrito. I know that that's like so hard, but I love guacamole. But cut back. Cut back in some area of your life in order to give to your friends and family, who, or for, to your uh, friends who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to, to the people from your churches that are taking the gospel to people who have never heard. So we can give, and then finally we can pray. And if we can think of a good excuse for those other three things, we can't think of a good excuse not to pray. Every single one of us can be praying for the 1040 window right now. One of the only things Jesus commands us to pray is to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Guys, we can be praying right now that God would send missionaries to the harvest field. And there's a massive harvest field known as the 1040 window. Let's just start praying that God would send missionaries. That he would send missionaries to these people groups who have never heard the truth. So I know, I know what you're thinking, man. All right, this is great. Like this gives, us me, gives, gives me an idea of how I can be involved in this. But if this is up to me and people like me, like this is never going to happen, right? Like I know myself. I'm a sinful person. I, I can never complete this mission. Well, I have some more really good news. The first comes at the end of the Great Commission, when Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I am with you in this mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, and I'm going with you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. That alone should give us enough confidence to know that we are going to complete this mission, that it is going to get done. But not only that, not only are we given the Holy Spirit, which should be enough, that should give us enough confidence, we actually get to see the end result. In Revelation, John looks out and he sees this. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold, a great number 
a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshiping Jesus. Guys, it is going to happen. Jesus has purchased people on the cross from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's just inviting us. He's inviting you. He's inviting me to play a part in getting them there. He's asking us to go and make disciples of all nations. And at some point last year, I was reading this verse, and for the first time, it hit me that I was going to be there. Have you guys ever thought about that? Like every other thing you read in the Bible, every other story, you're like, it's, it's history. Like we will never go back to that time and be in that moment. But when John looks out and he sees the great multitude, he sees you. He sees me. He sees us standing before the throne with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Guys, I just want you to imagine yourself there. Think about that. Think about looking around. You're seeing billions and billions of people. You're looking around and you see your friends. You see your family that you shared the gospel with. You, you see your international student friend worshiping Jesus. Maybe they accepted it when you shared the gospel with them. Maybe it took them 20 years. But they were standing before the throne with you worshiping Jesus because of your obedience. Or imagine someone comes up to you and they say, we've never met before. You've never stepped foot in my country. I've never stepped foot in yours. But you prayed. You prayed that God would send a missionary to my people group, and it happened. It happened, and now I am standing before the throne, worshiping Jesus with you because you were obedient in your closet in Monroe, Louisiana. Guys, that's what I want for every single one of us. I want us all to have that privilege of standing before the throne with the great multitude and looking around and seeing those people that we shared with, that we prayed for. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.